0: Welcome to the ESG Matters Podcast. My name is Ahmad Gomis, and I'm your host. Today, we have Mandy McReynolds, Head of Global Environmental, Social, and Governance at Workiva, and host of the ESG Talk Podcast to discuss the latest in ESG topics. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Ahmad. What a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Well, thank you. Just to start off, can you give a little bit about background on yourself and your work at Workiva?
1: Happy to. I had the privilege to work in environment, social, and governance across the last 15 years, deep in the S discipline for four different industries. And today I serve in Workiva, and Workiva is one of the world's leading platforms for financial, non-financial, and environment, social, and governance reporting. Everything from the data to the tagging to the needs that companies have to streamline their reporting processes. And I have the great privilege to do the day job of environment, social, and governance for our executive team and board and help us integrate it into our practices, our policies, and strategy. And then go to work for individuals like myself working for ESG and their companies and how technology can be a solution to help them do better work and better disclosure in the world.
0: Well, thank you so much for that. You know, when we think about ESG and disclosure in the world, we are beginning to see sort of this backlash against ESG, and some have even termed it woke capitalism. Can you give your opinion on why ESG is integral to businesses and to business outcomes?
1: Happy to discuss that. I think one of the things individuals in this role need to think about is, you have to find a balance. You can't be so ESG woke that you take your company broke, and you can't be so Wall Street that you forget about Main Street and the broadness of a stakeholder engagement that can move your business forward. And like any business decision, we talk about this on the ESG Talk podcast all the time, is that you have risk opportunities and cost. And environment, social, and governance is no different. So it's really important for individuals, if they don't want to be called out for woke capitalism, to get very clear and very focused on their business strategy, the alignment of business scorecards, a cross-functional ESG executive team that is reporting into the board on a regular basis about the risk opportunities and costs that they're working through. And continuing to move that balance between business and society impact forward, and I think when companies find that cross-functional team coming together and the identified business value drivers, they truly stay away from the notion of woke uh, capitalism, as it's been called in the market. And I often joke with people. I've been, you know, some some in the t- Twitter universe might say some things about that to me. And my response is the same. If you knew me and you worked with me really well and know that I believe in the economic vitality that environment, social, and governance can give to companies and to communities. And I'm a capitalist at heart. Capitalist has done more for society than any other business or philanthropy to take people to and out of poverty. So I think it's important that we consider the business value drivers and the society impact and be careful that we're not overlabeling people without truly understanding where they come from and the drivers that they focus on on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, I kind of think about that almost on a spectrum where on one side you have greenwashing and almost on the other side you have what people have deemed as woke capitalism and you know when you think about greenwashing you of course you're thinking about companies that are really not changing their business to improve their bottom line, leveraging ESG metrics and measurements and ideas and concepts to do so. And then on the far side of that, with what people deemed capitalism, you have companies that have almost overcorrected to the point where they have forgotten that the core function of a business is to generate revenue for itself and for its shareholders and 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 things of that nature. So I do believe a lot on what you say when you t- think about balance. And with that, I think it's so important for ESG teams to have an understanding of the business in which their business is operating in, also understand the landscape of what other sort of requirements and pressures that they're receiving and then have a really strong Understanding and this is often done through a materiality assessment, like who is important, who are the most important stakeholders, and what do they care about when it comes to the business? Because if you have, in my opinion, a really well-thought-out materiality assessment, you cannot be a woke, you can't fall into that sort of woke capitalism trap. You can really just say, this is based on what our external stakeholders care about, our internal stakeholders care about. And things that are like, let's say, in the top right quadrant are the items that we should really focus on. That's what we should be our beacon, you know, that lighthouse when we're trying to navigate ESG. And I think there you also find opportunities for businesses when they are faced with maybe an activist investor or even inquiries from media, you're in a much stronger position to say, this is why we've done these actions. This is the rationale behind it. And this is what the intended outcome should be. So I, I I couldn't agree with you more on that topic.
1: And I think building on that, it's really important for individuals to take a step back and prioritize their stakeholders. Because there are going to be moments in the market and in the business where your stakeholders don't agree. Maybe employees don't agree with customers. Maybe investors don't agree pushing for a different direction that would be opposite for what the employees want, or potentially regulation. They may want more information, more disclosure, more business strategy around a certain environment, social and governance topic that is beyond what a regulator wants. And organizations, especially as we had through a recession in 2023, need to take a step back, look at their materiality assessment, and begin to ask the question around who is the most important stakeholders or what's the order of stakeholders? And when these stakeholders disagree, how are we going to navigate this landscape in order to continue to thrive as a business and on our impact in society?
0: hundred percent. And sort of building on that, when you think about that, to, that sort of integration, have you seen organizations that you would identify maybe as a model for integrating ESG into business outcomes? And if so, what what sets them apart, in your opinion?
1: Gladly. I think I'll, I'll lean in a little bit for the audience today. where Kiva did a global environment, social, and governance survey. It was 1,300 practitioners. So, so just like you, mine, and me, we, the individuals who took the survey actually had to have 50% or more of their job responsibilities involved in ESG. So it couldn't just be that you were maybe some of your job or a portion of your job. And what we found from that is that over 70% of the companies were reporting unlocking business value from consumer growth to risk mitigation to investor engagement and growth. And those who were unlocking the most business value were doing some things in common. We talked about that key to ESG governance and that cross-functional task force. The other side that I think is interesting is when we think about materiality assessment, they are doing it on a more regular basis. It used to be in the field that every two years was acceptable or three. Now it's seen as something that should be ongoing at least at an annual basis. And considering pulse checking, a few were moving towards a quarterly stakeholder engagement. The other factor that we saw was a rise in external advisories. So ESG uh, stakeholder groups representation. And I've seen this particularly in the consumer side where some have moved to inviting NGOs and community organizations and a customer. And it's really this broad group that they can regularly check in on to see how their work in ESG is going to drive their business forward and proactively get ahead of stakeholder issues or engagement.
0: I'm really surprised to hear about the materiality assessment moving from like every two-year process to maybe a yearly or even a quarterly check-in. I think that's so, I'm really surprised to hear that. I didn't know that that was actually something people were starting to think about. I can definitely see the merit in it. I guess one of the concerns I would have there is that, is that maybe that you do, maybe these businesses are doing a really in-depth one at a more regulated cadence, and then maybe they're doing a smaller sort of check-in. At the yearly check-in or at that quarterly check-in, because to do a materiality assessment, at least when I was doing it, was a pretty thorough and exhaustive exercise. That it is not taken lightly because of the amount of work and the great outcomes that it can produce as far as intelligence for the business. So, I am I'm really curious to understand when you ran the survey, when they've done this materiality assessment. Did they talk about the amount of resources that they're utilizing to do this on, on a yearly basis?
1: What we're seeing is an investment in technology. So I think as the field has evolved, environment, social governance, reporting, let's just go the reporting and program around the globe is only a three-year practice. I, I think most people will identify it as, as an evolution of a practice and I think that's a piece where as companies are tackling this issue, they're looking, I think one in five, are looking at the notion of how technology could help them keep up with the speed of demand and the speed of change. One of the lessons learned as this has been an evolving practice for the last three years is that you can't always predict what's ahead. So I don't think anyone could have predicted war or supply chain challenges or looking at a pandemic, a global pandemic. And that piece may be informing why we're seeing a more frequent pulse check or a more frequent engagement on materiality assessment and stakeholder engagement to help be able to pivot or look at it. You know, one thing you talked about the materiality assessment charts, and this is a really good example. If your materiality was taken pre-COVID, well, so much has changed in the last two years. Or let's say it was taken and you're a US based company during social unrest. You might find that certain topics rise to the top because of the period of time that of the societal impacts and economic impacts that were happening in society. And as those things have sped up and collided, now there's this notion around, does that need to happen more often so that it's more relevant? The priorities may not always shift, but your top quadrants may.
0: Well, that's really good to understand. And thank you for that clarity. I think a lot of I think that's that's really important to understand that context is key. And oftentimes, as you mentioned, the world has changed very dramatically in a relatively short period of time and as businesses have to adjust our practice in ESG has to adjust, which means doing a materiality, which really underlines and underpins a lot of the activities and plans that we want to move forward with have to change as well. So that's really interesting. When you think about sort of there is this, we talked about this a little bit before with what capitalism, there is starting to see this movement starting to build a backlash against ESG initiatives especially for publicly traded companies. And I wonder from where you're from your vantage point, what do you think is the rationale behind this backlash? Do you think it's something that people are just struggling with because it's a new concept and ideas is do you think that there's something in the way that ESG is currently being done? Maybe because there isn't a lot of regulations and a lot of standardization that's driving this backlash. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Well, I think with any dialogue and debate in the market, it's good. Challenge is good. I, I wrote a blog piece on LinkedIn, an article around this when with especially with some pushback that was coming in the market from from political perspective as well as key significant business leaders, and I think. When you have a new and evolving practice, think about finance. We've had over a 100 years to get finance reporting, finance processes right, and in 2008, we didn't get it all right. Environment, social, and governance is going to go through a very similar process where we have to work on controls. We have to work on where the market will fall when you think about the investor funds that are there and how those funds are going to be established and the types of ESG integration screens and alpha, you name it, that is still forming. It's a very long-term lens. And so when we think about this pushback on backlash, I always encourage people to say, number one, don't look at it as a bad thing. It's the way that good practice and policy is made. Number two, Be intentional because like, let's say, another example within finance tax, we don't all agree around the globe on how tax should operate. It's set up differently by countries. Let's look at the U.S. If you look at the U.S., the states have different tax agreements. Environment, social, and governance may go through a very similar approach where we all agree that it's needed in order for investment decisions to be made, for employees to make decisions about the types of companies that they want to be a part of. And that regulation may be different based on country. And then as you get into the U.S. and potential pension funds or other decisions that are being made based on investor preference in those states or based on the state rule, environment, social, governance, integration may look different. And so rather than looking at it and saying, this is wrong and this is bad, I look at it and say, this is good for practice and policy. And also, we know how to do this. We've managed this in other arenas, and we will find our way over the next several years as it continues to evolve.
0: I agree. I think oftentimes because of how ESG was set up, and oftentimes there was just this lack of understanding in the beginning. And a lot of early practitioners have had to understandably sort of fight for their existence and the and the rationale behind implementing these ideas that I think there's a certain level of sensitivity around anything that seems to be a criticism. But to your point, I think it is important to understand the criticism and understand that this is part of just the natural process of how other actions, like you talked about taxes, the same thing can go for accounting, the same thing can go for marketing. Other business functions, they have this similar conversation that's ongoing. I think the only difference is is that ESG topics are such a hot topic, and especially on the social and governance side, they can feel very personal for a lot of people in a way that other topics may not And because of that, there may be a little bit more emotion in those discussions than it would be for something a little less close to home. So I think part of it may be taking people to understand that the conversation isn't necessarily about you or your work per se, but it's about what is the work contributing and is this the right place for either your industry your business or business writ large to do is should some of this actually sit within civil society or not so i think part of it is also we have to understand that this conversation will happen in various iterations throughout but that's great to have that conversation and then of course there will be some conversations that are based on Just a fundamental disagreement on the basic tenets, what we consider to be the foundation of ESG, which is fine, but you have to understand that that's just part of the nature of being in business, being in conversation with community, being in conversation with the market and what that kind of looks like.
1: Ahmad, I think, you know, a twist on that, too, is we have to recognize that as companies are tackling environment, social and governance, and they're setting up their strategy with their teams, the tech and the talent to teachers to kind of operate this we, we need to zoom in a little bit, too, on where the market is for, for talent. I've had many conversations with business school deans and, and vice associates of, over different areas for ESG and interviewing a lot of interns. And what I'm seeing is the business schools need to also catch up a little bit more here because you have students who have kind of paced their own way. And it's wonderful market for them to enter in with the over 7,000 jobs last year open on LinkedIn around ESG. What the business schools and, and what we as practitioners need to also think about is people coming in and building the skills of the tick and the talk of ESG. So you have the tick side which is the data and the analysis and the you know the hard math kind of side data and controls and all of that piece. But you also have the talk side of how you work on strategy, work across the executive team, work with boards, work with your stakeholders, work on the communication strategy. And unfortunately, I see in the market whether somebody's new in practice or they are a young intern coming in that they either have one or the other, or they've paved their way to find it. And I think moving forward, we need to work together with business schools to have a strong tick and talk background of of the students coming into the market, and then coaching up practitioners to build both skill sets so that they can be effective as their roles and leadership roles for ESG will continue to grow within their companies.
0: So I think this brings us to a really good point. When you talked about business schools and education, I wonder when you think about ESG professionals, especially in the corporate space, how important is it for them to be subject matter experts in traditional business domain like finance or supply chain versus having a more, I would say, generalist education, whether it be through business school or undergrad? in ESG writ large?
1: Great question for the business school acumen isn't quite there yet. And so a lot of individuals have learned through practice over the last three years. And there are three things that I think professionals can think about. One is their transferable skills. And it may be in finance, it may be in supply chain, it may be in other arenas. So so that, so that that's a piece that I, I share with individuals is that If you're coming into different business industries, I've been an industry spanner, I've worked in four different ones, those transferable skills are still the same, right? How do you work across teams? How are you a collaborator? How are you a person of influence? How do you bring people together in a a focused strategy? The second thing that I think we have to think about is even the talent that exists today within businesses often have a deep E, S, or G discipline that they've been built around. And what they're doing now is bringing these all together. And and so like me, I have a very deep discipline in the S. Over the course of the last five to six years, I've had to learn more about G, more about E, so that I'm able to help pull this all together for an executive team as we dialogue and debate and determine the strategy. So as we move forward, it's about individuals of practice maybe going deeper into other arenas like myself in the E and in the G because that's what's needed to bring a holistic approach to environment, social, and governance. So I, I lean less and you have to have a certain type of skill within the business to what are your transferable skills? And then on the other side, how are you upskilling yourself to be able to cross into each of those functions?
0: Yeah, I would agree in the sense that I think Oftentimes there's this ability to if you have a hard skill or even a soft skill coming from a different part of a business that is really needed in ESG for professionals because oftentimes you're right, you have this group of people who may be really strong in the tick or the talk, but they really don't have a fundamental core understanding of like how the business operates, whether it be logistics or something else. And when you're talking across the business, when you're talking to professionals and to the leaders in various sort of components of the business, it's great if you have the ability on your team to tap into someone who understands and can speak that language and translate ESG into the language in which that person, that leader has sort of functionally grown up in professionally. So I think that there's, for those 7,000 jobs, one thing I think would be very important for Recruiters and for hiring managers to look at is to think about more critically not necessarily your need as it pertains to the specific job per se, but what type of background should this person have if you want them to be successful, given the audience and the uh, personnel that they will most have to interact with because sometimes that may mean that you may need to maybe teach people and reeducate them on the environmental, the social, the governance component. But the core thing that they would talk about and how they would present the information is a way in which would really resonate with the leadership or the SMEs that you have work with or you're having a hard time working with to get that information. I also think that when you look at business schools, there's a lot of theory. There's a lot of, quite frankly, there's almost like it's a given that Since you're here, you're going to get a good job, quite frankly. And because you have an MBA, that sets you apart, which is true to a degree. But I think it's important for them to provide real world experiences and opportunities for them while they're in school, while they're being trained in ESG so that they have, one, a better understanding of where they even want to sort of go when it comes to ESG and two, what type of skill sets can they bring from their pre-MBA program that they could leverage to set themselves apart in the marketplace. So Mandy, I just want to thank you so much for being a guest on the ESG Matters podcast. And once again, I want to let people know that if they want to hear your podcast, they can search for ESG Talk on all podcast platforms. And again, thank you so much for your time and I hope you all have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you. What a pleasure to be with you and all your listeners today. And look forward to the new year and seeing what uh, challenges and accomplishments all of our colleagues will make around the globe.
0: Definitely.